Well, guys, it is good to be with you. I, I just, I love your pastor. I love your pastoral family. What a privilege it is to be with you and to, uh, to see what you are doing here. I, I, I still feel like I'm a church planner myself. I, it's part of my DNA, and so I am energized uh, to see what you were doing. Sometimes church planning is really difficult, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you're in a school for crying out loud. Wait till you get into a building program, you know? Hey, listen, but it's wonderful. What you guys are doing is so, so important. Um, people come to Christ better in new churches uh, than in established churches. There's so many reasons so uh, that church planning is important. And I'm glad you're here, glad you're for what you're doing and supporting uh, ben and his family and this, this whole team. Did you guys have a good Christmas and you made it through New Year's? How, for how many of you, I'm doing my own personal test, uh, because this Christmas was a COVID Christmas for my family. We got, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm negative now. I've become a negative person, so I want you to know uh, we're, we're, we're through it. But how many of you had COVID over Christmas? Anybody? Just one. This is a, cl- two. This is a clean congregation, I want you to know. But uh, it is a privilege. But I'll tell you, this year, really, in the past years, as I think about church planting and I think about pastoral ministry, I think how different planting a church is today than when I started planting a church a few years ago. I mean, it really is, it really is a new day and age. I never had to deal with some of the, the cultural transitions that you're facing today and the challenges. Nevertheless, planning a church is so important. And as I was thinking about what would we talk about today, I thought I put on my church planner hat and I thought, what is it that a church just getting started needs to hear about moving into a new year, 2022, with all of these uh, cultural uh, changes and challenges? What would it be? Well, I I think really, bottom line, is that the church of Jesus Christ simply needs to be the church. What we need to be as we go into the future is to be the church of Jesus Christ. And the more mature a church we could be, the better. Catch this. What our culture needs is the gospel of Jesus Christ. What our culture needs are churches that teach the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you guys get that. You guys understand the gospel of grace. You understand that this is not about what we do in a self-salvation project to to get into heaven. You understand that what's been done for us by Jesus is the only way we get to heaven and how we live a flourishing life right now on planet earth. And so I thought, well, one of my favorite books is the book of Philippians. I know the kids are talking about Exodus. I probably ought to preach a sermon on Exodus, but I'm not prepared for that. So I'm going to talk about Philippians today, chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, I want to uh, read to you the first 11 verses real quick as we get started. And I want to talk about the five marks of maturity of a church. It's interesting how the Apostle Paul brings up five marks of maturity all through chapter 1. Now, I'm not going to read every verse at the outset, but I'm going to start out and, and, and then we'll uh, circle back and read different verses as we go along. But I want you to know that this is a five-point sermon. 
I tell my, I tell my students, listen, people can't handle that many points. And so I'm violating all of my, uh, pl- my plans in preaching today, but I got a five-point sermon that comes from Philippians 1, where the Apostle Paul will talk about identity, he'll talk about purpose, character, confidence, and then legacy. And as we go into this text, I want you to think about how the gospel of grace produces a mature Christian, a mature church, and, and mature churches that emphasize these five points, identity, purpose, character, confidence, and then legacy. All right, here we go. I'm going to start out with Philippians 1, just with verses 1 through 11. The Apostle Paul says, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. I should tell you this is from the New American Standard translation of the Bible. It's closer to the ESV than the NIV, but trust me, this is uh, from the Bible, okay? Um, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness how I long for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God." This is God's Word, but we're going to deal with the whole chapter. I think you told me I had an hour for this, an hour for this. No, I'll get you out of here on time. Uh, But we do have five points, and it's interesting, as we start out with this first point about identity, how Paul starts his letter. He starts his letter like almost every letter begins in the New Testament, and he begins in the same way that most letters in the first century actually were written. They, they started out with the authors telling who they are and then who the people are to whom they're writing. So bottom line, it starts out, these letters always, always start out talking about identity. Identity, who's writing, who's receiving. But that raises the point about how the Apostle Paul saw his self-identity. Now, what I'd love to do right now is to have you all stay seated right here and then sneak out to the parking lot and, and look at all the back windows of all of your cars or vans or trucks or whatever and look at all the stickers that are there. Because the stickers that you have on your car, right now you're thinking, oh man, what's on the back of my car? But our stickers on the back of our car often illustrate what we, how we self-identify. And identity is the beginning of everything, isn't it? As we go into a new year as a church, as we go in as Christians, identity really is the issue, who am I? Who am I? And it's astonishing the number of people who have followed Jesus Christ who don't really have a sound identity. We sang a song this morning that was so good about a 
the firm foundation of the love of God. But identity is absolutely crucial. And the Apostle Paul starts out by, by tipping us off to his identity. He says, I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And to the Philippians, he calls them saints. Uh, the, the, the Greek original is the idea of holy ones. And so as he looks at these believers, he calls them holy ones. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you felt holy this morning when you got up? How many of you felt like you were the specially loved, uh, redeemed son or daughter of the Most High God? Identity is everything. Then down in verse 7, the Apostle Paul says, well, listen, I love you guys as Philippians. I have you in my heart. Uh, Paul, Paul was an intellectual giant. But he also was a man with a big heart. The heart and the Hebrew way of thinking is the center of a person. And, and the Philippians were one of those good churches like the Thessalonians. They didn't give Paul too many problems. He loved those guys deeply. They were in his heart. And he calls them partakers of grace with him. And so as we think of Paul's identity, how he self-identified as a bondservant of Jesus Christ, and as the Philippians as saints, we see that this, this dials us back to the, to the Acts chapter 9 account of when the Apostle Paul became a Christian. You remember that account? Remember that story? Uh, Paul is uh, now, at that point, what's his name? It's not Paul, it's Saul. And so Saul, uh, with a name like that, after the first king of Israel, Saul, that's a pretty high and lofty name. Uh, Saul is going after Christians. He hates them because he hates everything that Christians stand for, and he's going after them in a big way to put them in jail, to put them in prison and do who knows what with them, and who does he meet on the road to Damascus? He meets our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he's a true apostle because in some way he saw the resurrected Lord, and so he meets him. I love this. Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me, Jesus says. And he brings Saul to the absolute end of himself. I don't think there's really a good, a true conversion unless we come to the end of ourselves. I, I, I think we got to get to a point where we're saying, I, I, I can't be good enough long enough. Listen, I can be good. I have been a Christian for a long time. I can fake this thing pretty good. Um, but... I can't go out in public and sin in Orlando because I've been there too many years, I want you to know. But the reality is, I can't be good enough long enough to get right with God. And so the gospel, the great news, the great news of the gospel is that Jesus was not only the one who fulfilled the law perfectly for us, but then he took our curse on the cross. So what theologians call uh, the active obedience of Christ is that he lived a perfect life and the passive obedience of Christ in that he took our curse for us on the cross. Uh, What an amazing thing. So uh, Paul meets Jesus and and after that, how does he self-identify? Well, he self-identifies not as Saul, but what does he call himself? Paul. Paul. And you know what Paul means? Paul is a great name. Paulus. Uh, a Latin name, means small. It means humble. And I love that. He went from the identity of a king to the identity of a deeply humbled man as one who, was, who had received the grace of God. And I, and I, and I love uh, the gospel of grace. I, uh, you know, if it weren't for grace, none of us would really 
be here today at all. Grace, you know, grace is receiving what you don't deserve when there's every bit of evidence that you deserve the opposite, right? That's grace. Grace is, grace is what Jesus accomplished, God loving us in spite of ourselves. And one of the illustrations of grace I remembered as I was driving down here this morning from Orlando, it was great, you know, no traffic hardly at all. Great. I almost thought, Ben, that I really ought to let you know that I was on the road, but I didn't. I wanted to push your faith and let you trust uh, that God would have gotten me here. Uh, but, um, but as I was driving down 95, uh, uh, I remember the time I came down 95, it was a few years ago, and I was going to speak to some PCA elders about doing men's ministry in their church, and I was late getting on 95 to get down to meet these guys, because my granddaughter Maggie had been born, I had to go by and get some Maggie time, so I rent by my son's house to spend some time with Maggie, she's now eight years of age. I can't believe that time goes that fast. Um, this is what the ministry does to you, I want you to know. But um, it was eight years ago, driving down 95, singing to audio adrenaline, speeding, violating, violating the speed limit in my F-150 coming down, coming down 95, and I came over a rise. It was past Palm Bay. I came over a rise, and it was like you know, Christmas. The biggest dragnet of police officers, deputies I'd ever seen in my entire life. Red, blue, green lights, all that. And so I knew. I, I knew. I saw a guy, you know, he spotted me. I just pulled, I just started pulling over until this guy uh, pulled me over. This officer pulled me over. And this man with no neck comes walking up to my car. And, uh, um, and uh, he said, sir, can I see your license? I said, it's in my wallet right there. And I'm one of these liberated individuals. I had a gun in there, too. I said, it's right next to my gun, and I'm, he calls for backup. <laughs> I'm thinking, I am really significantly in trouble. And so he calls for backup. The other officer comes. They look over everything. Then he comes back to me after what seemed like a, forever. And uh, I'm thinking, these elders are going to hate me. And um, he comes up, and he goes, sir, today we are ticketing everybody. Did I tell you it was a construction zone? Yeah, it was a construction. Sir, we are ticketing everybody going 90 miles an hour today, and you were going 89. He gave me a warning. Who gets a warning for going 89 miles an hour in a construction zone? Kids, don't try this at home. Uh, don't do this. I'm sorry. That's a, that was a bad example there. But the reality is, is I should have been in prison or paying a fine that was absolutely phenomenal. I should have missed that whole elder event. And yet grace was given to me, grace and mercy, right? Two sides of the same coin. He withheld what I deserved, jail and a huge fine, and great, he let me go. Well, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is so much more to that. And, and I did, and this is my longest point and my first point. So if you're looking at your clock, I get that. Let's do this. There we go. Okay. All right. 
this is going to be unique. I have, haven't done this in years, my friend, but there it is. We're good to go. So identity, identity is, did you catch what I said it was? I know who, I know who I am. And in the gospel of Jesus Christ, what do we find? That as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be called the children of God. I could call you creatures, and that would be a good thing. I, I could call you uh, those made in the image of God, and that's a good thing. But the reality is that the relational thing is what happens when we come to faith in Christ. We are called the deeply beloved daughters and sons of the Most High God. And I want you to know that that is your identity in Jesus Christ. And as the ministry to men that I have in Orlando, I find that so many men who have been following Christ for so long do not know who they are. When you know your identity in Christ, uh, it, it, it changes everything. Other people don't define me uh, the way they want to define me because who identifies me? Who defines me? Jesus does. It, 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 it affects my, my security or my insecurity. I'm amazed at how many people are really pretty insecure, right? At Forge, we have a deal. I go, how are you doing on Sunday morning? We say, how are you doing? And we guys stick out our hands and we say what? I'm fine. I'm fine. How are you? I'm fine too. I'm frustrated, insecure, nervous, and exhausted. But I'm going to act like I got it all together. But the reality is I don't. And so identity is so important. Identity makes us comfortable in our skin, in who we are. We don't have to have all the gifts. Uh, we, we are who we are. And so I think the first mark of maturity and the most important from which everything else flows is understanding what Paul understood. And in this epistle, he understands grace and peace to you, he says, Grace is not something that we just need when we come to faith in Christ. Grace is something I need every day. When I start my day, I, I, I call it my daily appointment with God, but the community Bible reading idea, one of the big ideas is to remember my identity before I go out there every day. Mature Christians and a mature church needs to know who they are in Christ. Well, once we understand that, then, then uh, we see Paul moving on to the second mark of maturity in the church, and that is a purpose, purpose. Once I know that I am the deeply beloved, redeemed son, you are the deeply beloved, redeemed daughters and sons of the Most High God, and that'll never change in all time and eternity, by the way. That can't change. It can't change. Uh, then, then we get a new purpose. And I love what Paul says in verses 12 through 26. Uh, real quick, he says, I want you to know, brothers, by the way, where is Paul when he's writing the letter to the Philippians? He is in, he's in prison. Uh, Philippians, uh, Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon are called the prison epistles. He's in prison writing this letter. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that my circumstances uh, have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well-known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brothers trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without 
fear. I love Paul at this point, and those verses go on. I don't. I really don't have an hour to unpack all these with you. And um, uh, but 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 what we see early in this epistle is that is that Paul understood his purpose. That his purpose, once his identity was radically transformed, and he was the deeply beloved, redeemed son of the Most High God, that his life purposes were transformed. That God had redeemed him from hell, the pit, and a purposeless life. And we are too. And he doesn't leave it up to us to figure out our purpose. I love reading business literature. I have so many businessmen in my ministry and have over the years. I love reading business literature. But business literature always says you got to find your purpose. And what they do is they put identity and purpose together. You got to find out what you do best. Women, ladies, men, as you, and find out what your purpose is. And the Bible says, no, in the gospel, God gives us a new identity and then he gives us a new purpose. And that new purpose really has threefold element to it, uh, which I would love to, to unpack on a whole weekend. And that is uh, the idea that we are leaders worker providers, and warrior ambassadors. You say, ladies, ladies, you say, I'm not a warrior. Yes, you are. I love my daughter, Jessie. I have two older sons, and then God gave us Jessie. And uh, Jessie, the warrior princess, I t- I, that's what I call her all the time. And, and she's strong, and she's, she's a leader. Uh, she's a lacrosse. Anyway, my kids are better than your kids. I just, I just want you to know. There it is. But purpose answers the question, why am I here? And there are so many Christians that get their purpose and their identity from the world. And the reality is, is my purpose comes from Scripture. Discipleship is the unpacking of our leadership roles, our worker roles, and our warrior ambassador roles where we are advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those are our core purposes and I submit that every bit of discipleship flows out of those core uh, roles that God has given us as leaders, worker providers, warrior ambassadors. Women, you too? Absolutely. Absolutely. In different ways, there are some gender distinctions for sure in the church, uh, and, but, uh, but le- we're all leaders. And men, I have, you would not believe the number of men I hear that come to me and they say, I'm not a leader. And I say, yes, you are. Because you're of the male gender, God calls you a leader. And God has put you in the position of leadership in your home. Now, the best leadership is not dictatorial demanding leadership. It's servant leadership. And Jesus models that. But, but we're leaders. We're worker providers. We're warrior ambassadors. And, and, and the reality is, men, I want to say to you in particular, we need you. We've got a lot of strong, wonderful women in this church. That's great. We need you. And the church has always benefited by strong women. But, guys, I remember when I first started our church over 30 years ago, and I remember my ordination. And I remember kneeling, being called to kneel before the elders at Orangewood Church in Orlando and have all those gorillas put their hands on my shoulders and lean down on me. There were probably 40 guys that did that. And I remember at the end of that, I remember the weight 
of those men putting their hands on my shoulders. And I, I, I remember thinking, I hope the last guy doesn't pray too long because my back is going to crumble. But that was, that was so significant for me to understand what the pastorate is. It's carrying the burden. And, and we need others to help us carry the burden. We need strong men and women moving into leadership roles, worker roles, and, and warrior roles in the church. But make no mistake about it, Paul understood his purpose. He said and later in Philippians, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live on in the flesh, it will mean fruitful labor for me. And I don't know what to choose. I'm hard-pressed from both directions. I have the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that's very much better. But to remain on the flesh is more necessary for your sake. So, church family, I just want to say to you, as I think uh, what I would say to any church as we, we think about moving into a new year with so many cultural, cultural changes, a mature church is a church where every individual is coming to understand their identity as God's deeply beloved, redeemed daughter and son by grace, and, and where we understand our purpose as leaders, workers, warriors, that we've got to band together uh, to, to serve Jesus Christ. And then the third thing that comes out of here is the whole idea of character. Uh, and character is found in, in so many places in Philippians chapter 1. Uh, but, but I love what he says in verse 6, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until... The day of Christ Jesus, character. You see, once we understand who we are in terms of our identity in Christ, then we are moved to understand our purposes, and then we ask the question, how in the world am I supposed to carry out the purposes of God? How do I do that? That's character. Character, Christ-likeness, godliness, the fruit of the Spirit. This is how we live with one another this is how we carry out our roles as leaders, worker providers, warrior ambassadors. Uh, it takes the character of Christ in us. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. Patience is one of my great skills. Oh, my goodness. I don't know a church planner who has patience. So, Ben, I don't know if this is one of your skills. I, I shouldn't be talking just to you, but I love you a lot, and uh, uh, you can handle that, right? It's got a thick skin. But the reality is, is, is patience is not one of my strengths, and at my advanced age, God is still working on that in my life. I remember confessing a sin to my mentor, Steve Brown, one day. We had gone to dinner, and I had confessed a sin. I said, I can't believe I committed that sin. And he said, you wouldn't be so surprised at your own sin if you didn't have such a high opinion of yourself. And I said, what do you really think? And I was so thankful for that straight-out deal. I'm still working on character. It's a lifelong project, isn't it? Where we grow in Christ's likeness, not to become saved, but because we are saved. Grace energizes godly character. Grace is the energizing principle of everything we do. Grace is what sets us on fire, what brings a church together, which sends us out to reach our community and builds us in character. And so character is so important. The fourth mark of maturity is confidence. 
And notice how they all flow together. I love this because as Paul talks about character, and he does even more in chapter 1 than I had time to go into, as he talks about identity as who, who identity is, I know who I am. Purpose is, I know why I'm here. Character is, I know how to live in this world, whether they accept me or not. Confidence is, I know I will make it. I know I will make it. And this is why the resurrection of Christ was such a powerful theme in every sermon in the book of Acts. Because those first Christians that we follow, they were absolutely convinced that a dead man got up and walked, that the resurrection was real, and that Jesus was alive. And so notice what Paul says in Philippians 1:28, In no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to me in me. Confidence. As you start this church, well, not starting, but as you continue this great ministry, know with confidence that Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Paul had that same sense of confidence. When you drive in and you think, are people going to come? Are they going to continue to come? Are we going to make it over the long haul? I cannot tell you the number of Sundays when I left the storefront uh, at Redbug Road and Tuscawilla Road in uh, my side of town and wondered if anybody was going to ever come again. But, but the church is still alive. And today, this afternoon at 4 o'clock, we have the installation for my second successor. Uh, and it's still alive. It's still growing. And yours will continue to confidence, confidence. Have you seen that bumper sticker? Jesus may love you, but I'm his favorite. <laughs> I, 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 think Paul, I think Paul understood beyond a shadow of a doubt that what he was doing would succeed. Then lastly, uh, uh, a mature church has a sense of legacy. They understand their identity. They understand uh, who they are. They understand their purpose, why they're on the planet. They understand how they do their work is through the character of Christ. And they have a confidence that says we will thrive and survive because of the grace of God in us. But then there's that word of legacy. And legacy is a legacy as I know what I'm leaving and I know where I'm going. And some of us are really concerned for their legacy. Uh, you know, when you get to uh, my age, you begin to think, good night, I could go home tomorrow, and that'd be a good thing. Uh, the Apostle Paul says, I would rather depart and be with Christ. For that's very much better. But to remain on uh, and help you is better for you. He knew what he was leaving as he, as he advanced the gospel of Jesus Christ, but he also knew where he was going. I want to tell you this, that legacy is the amazing reality uh, that we don't have to worry about. I learned that I don't have to worry about my legacy, and neither do you. 
Because if you and I are living as gospel-centered, grace-energized people who know their identity, who, who know why they're on the planet, their purpose, their character, and have the confidence of Christ, legacy takes care of itself. You don't have to worry about it. I did two funerals, and then I'm done. I did two funerals uh, not too long ago of two warriors. Both of these guys were military guys. And, you know, funerals are where you really learn uh, what a man was like. And these military guys, these warriors, uh, um, had, had family that talked about them. And I was absolutely stunned because one was a helicopter pilot in Vietnam and one was in the Navy. And um, they, were, they were wild men but they love their families. And as I listen to their families and their, their kids, their stepkids, their grandkids talk about them, I realize something that I had never recognized before, and that is this. I do not get to define my legacy. That other people will always establish any legacy that there is. Paul wasn't concerned for his legacy. Other people get to set your legacy. They get to define your character. And as we live as people of identity, as deeply beloved, redeemed sons and daughters of the Most High God because of Jesus, and as we live with purpose, character, confidence, legacy takes care of itself, and we simply don't have to worry. As we go into 2022, I think of the story of the the old guy that was working at Walmart, and uh, he was always late every day. He was late every day to Walmart, and his boss hauled him in. He was an old guy. He was retired from his other job, but uh, the, the boss hauled him into the office and said, Bill, you're a wonderful guy. Everybody likes you as a greeter. Uh, we love having you here, but you're late every day. You're late every day, and I can't understand uh, why you're late. We need you to to pick it up, and, uh, and he said, I know, I'm late every day, I'm sorry, I'll pick up my game. And he said, listen, Bill, you were in the military, I mean, what did they say to you when you came in late? And he said, well, usually they just said, good morning, General, can I get you a cup of coffee? It's easy for us when we get to a certain point of time to plateau, to chill out, to relax, and yet this is a time when the Spirit of God, by grace, wants to energize us and deploy us and set us, set us loose, cut us loose. And I know that God is going to do that through your church. And I'll be praying for you. Hope you'll pray for me that I don't plateau and get easy going either. And I'll be praying for you in this great church. Let's pray together, and, I'll, and we'll move on.